Hey everybody, welcome to the Mill Spec Believer Podcast. This is episode 31. I got an awesome interview lined up for you guys with Chad Robichaux. Uh, really excited to get into it. Right before we get to that, I just want to point you to my social media on Instagram and on Twitter as Mill Spec Believer. Uh, really excited to connect with you guys on either of those platforms. Point each other to Jesus, point each other to be bold in our faith. Um, really appreciate anyone who's reached out on there, and hopefully you guys continue to do so. So without further ado, let's get into it with Chad. All right, Chad, I'm so thankful you're joining me, man. Just as the listeners will hear today, like our God is a God who takes broken people and despite our brokenness, you know, he, he uses it to point to his glory. Uh, and it's so cool to see. Uh, he, he's obviously given you a stage to share your story, Chad, and, and you're continually pointing all the glory back to him. So if I can say one thing, I'd just say thank you on the front end just for being faithful uh, with, with what God's called you to. Yeah, you know, uh, first of all, thanks for having me on. And I think before that, we... Uh... You know, I, the things I've been through in my life, uh, the good things and the hard, and the hard things, uh, really I look at this point in my life now and it, it's all it's all accumulated together to to bring, you know, give me a platform to be able to share, you know, the the hardships of my life, but the restoration that God's brought into my life. And I look at the very things that almost destroyed me and those things are what really kind of unique, uniquely qualifies me to speak to speak into the lives and have access to the lives of some you know, very unique people. Hundred percent, man. That's awesome. Well, I'm thankful for what he's done and what he's continually doing. Um, I feel like there's there's 50 things like we could make uh, this recording or this episode about, or, or anything we could cover, uh, just based on what you've been up to the last two or so years. Um, <laughs> but uh, I do want to focus on on the Mighty Oaks Foundation and everything you're doing through that. Um, but before we get to that, let me just get out of the way, hand this off to you, uh, and if you could give the listeners your background and kind of the path that that's gotten to where you are today. Uh, it's quite the path. So appreciate yeah. anything you share. I try to, you know, give, give a, a summary because, uh, so we get into some of the current stuff, but you know, I was, I was a force recon Marine. I did, uh, um, I come from a family of Marines. My father's a Marine and both my sons are Marines. Uh, uh, I, I did eight deployments to Afghanistan as part of a JSOC task force, a joint special operations command task force. And, uh, and, you know, in that, in that work and in that capacity, uh, I, I served as a AFO advanced force operator doing clandestine logistics for, you know, one of the premier special operations units. And, uh, just like many of our warriors who we, we, you know, see coming home today, struggling after 20 years of war and dealing with anxiety, depression, and, and this, you know, leading into the suicide epidemic in a, in a veteran community, you know, I, I dealt with those things too. I came home, I, 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 I faced uh, debilitating panic attacks and depression and anxiety and was diagnosed with PTSD. I had a near divorce between you know, my wife and I and in uh, and, and, and a very real battle with taking my own life. And it was in a, one of those darkest moments uh, in my life where I found myself you know, alone in a closet with a pistol man trying to decide whether it was to take my life or not. And, and uh, my wife, it was my wife who intervened and uh, came, to my, came to my apartment and, and – um, and uh, interrupted that suicide attempt. And in the middle of that argument that ensued from that, uh, she asked a question that radically changed my life. You know, she asked me how I could do everything I did in the military and, 
as an athlete because I thought as a professional athlete and all these things she's seen. And she's like, how could you do all of those things? Uh, but when it comes to your family, you quit. And that, hmm. that question for me just radically impacted me and challenged me. And uh, in that moment, I made a pretty radical decision in my life to get back in the fight. Uh, you know, during that time we were separated, my wife had made a decision to get into a church and begin praying for me. Uh, and, uh, you know, I went totally the opposite direction of that. But while she was in this church praying for me, and by the way, she said she would just pray, you know, God, let me see Chad the way you see Chad. Let me love Chad the way you love Chad. Let me forgive Chad the way you forgave Chad. That's the thing she was doing for me while I was, you know, running around with women and, and, and hmm. you know, betraying my family and just being a total jerk. Uh, and so, you know, when, when I made the decision to get back in the fight, the, the people I had surrounded myself in my life well, not that they were bad people, but I really surrounded myself by people that told me everything I wanted to hear and not what I needed to hear. And I had really no accountability in my, in my life at that time. And so I, uh, I made the decision to, to uh, ask my wife, is there someone in this church you're going to that could help hold me accountable to getting better? I wasn't seeking God or church at the time. What I was seeking was just someone outside of my circle. And, uh, yeah. and so I met a man named Steve Toth, uh, who was never, you know, wasn't in the military. He'd, uh, anything like that. It was a special operations guy, but uh, I met Steve at a Starbucks coffee shop and I'd written like a military five paragraph order of how I was fix my life. It was really good. I was super <laughs> proud of it. And I was like kind of smugly slid it over to him. Really, really. I was like, Hey, show this to my wife and let her know I'm really trying here. Yeah. Yeah. And he, and he slid it back over to me and told me I was going to fail without even reading it. And I remember in my initial reaction was I was, I was offended. I'm like, I just put work in this thing. I want you to show it to my wife and you won't even look at it. You're telling me I'm going to fail. You know, what a jerk this guy was. <laughs> and, uh, and then he said something to me that was simple but really profound for me. He said, if this plan doesn't have anything to do with your relationship with God, I'm not going to waste your time. I'm not going to let you waste mine. Hmm. And, uh, at that moment in my life, I had pretty much tried everything. I had been on all the medication. I had been through VA programs and counseling and, and uh, all these other you know, self-help programs. I had a professional success. I had, you know, won a world championship as a professional athlete and and, uh, and made a lot of money and had a notoriety and had a successful business, you know, in, in this transition. So I, I had some good things and some bad things that tried to get me better, but none of those things really changed my situation. Right. And, uh, and, and it was still something missing there. And we, we have a saying at the foundation I run, Mighty Oaks Foundation, that comes from this moment. And the saying is, if, if what you're doing isn't working, then why not try something different? Yeah. And, you know, I had tried everything and, and nothing worked. So it was time for me to try something different. So I trusted this man, Steve. And I recklessly, uh, without even knowing, just surrendered my life to Christ. Uh, didn't even really understand what that meant at the time. And, uh, and went on this journey of understanding what the decision really meant. And in that journey, Steve mentored me for a period of one year. And what I, what I discovered in that year was you know, so life-changing and profound for me. Because I was, I was super intentional about it. I'm kind of like not a half-in or half-out kind of guy. Yeah. So I'm going to do something, I'm going to go all in. And I'm a skeptic uh, of by nature. And, and I certainly was a skeptic of faith. So I'm like, I'm going to be in something I want to really know. So I started studying apologetics and Steve's mentoring me and his biblical living principles. And, and uh, I really started learning how the Bible teaches us to live in, in spite of what we may go through in life. And, and what I discovered uh, was that all these things that happened to me in my life, uh, a very dysfunctional childhood, burying 15 friends in Afghanistan, uh, you know, the loss, the hurt, the anxiety, depression, all these things that happened to me, as bad as those things were, those things didn't leave me being in a closet with a pistol man would let me there were the choices that I made in response to those things. Never lost control in my life of the ability to choose. 
And, and so now that I've realized, hey, I still have the ability to make different choices moving forward. And it sounds cliche, uh, but it, but it's just the best way to know how to say it is I realized I didn't have to let my past define my future. I could choose a different future moving forward. You know, would I still deal with anger and frustration and anxiety? Of course I would. I'm human. And, and I had a lot of uh, very, very uh, uh, broken past, but I can respond to them differently. In the Bible, this mentorship I was getting from the Bible was teaching me different ways to respond. So now I, I still face those moments of being triggered to anxiety and anger and depression, but with the biblical principles to make different choices and better choices by, I had a different outcome and a different result in my daily life. And, and I began, began to become very intentional about pausing for a second and seeking what the Bible's answers were to how to respond to things. And that ultimately led me to a place of restoration and my family and my marriage and my own brokenness and my own way I dealt with anxiety and depression and PTSD and panic attacks. It, 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 uh, it brought me to a place of having hope again, maybe for the first time in a very long time. And ultimately led me to, uh, to find purpose again. And uh, purpose is essential to life. I mean, we were created that purpose without purpose. We kind of wither up and die or don't want to live anymore. Uh, Mark Twain's one of my favorite, you know, favorite quotes of Mark Twain's is the two most important days in a person's life are the day that they're born and the day they find out why. Hmm. And yeah. uh, for me, when Steve, this man, Steve Toth introduced me a life that I believe God created me to live, I found out the why. And that why for me was sharing what I had discovered with others because when I was going through this really dark time, so dark that I didn't want to live anymore and, and, uh, and so hopeless that, you know, I felt like there was nothing to live for, no purpose to look. I mean, when I was in that time, I thought no one else could feel the way I feel. No one could yeah. be as off, off as I am. And the truth is a lot of people were and are, but now I've been awoken to the truth behind the matter and the fact that there is hope there is restoration there is purpose moving forward it was like if i was dying of cancer and this guy steve gave me the cure like you don't want to keep something like that to yourself like you don't want to <laughs> yeah. you, you like obligate it to share that and so i uh, god just put a deep burden in my heart to share that with others and uh, it really manifested it for me and speaking to the community that i came from in the military community and uh starting the mighty oaks foundation and honestly at the time me and my wife had been in, back in the same home for less than a year. So we were still broken ourselves and really had no business mentoring or, or ministering to anyone else. But we just felt this heavy burden in our hearts to do it, particularly me, and and just was obedient to that. And now it's 11 years later, and I've been able to speak to 250,000 active duty troops. I just spoke this weekend at the U.S. Air Force. Uh, uh, at the U.S. Air Force, I'm speaking at the Marine Corps. And all these events that I get to speak at and speak to troops about uh, – suicide, depression, uh, marriage issues, uh, PTSD, anxiety, spiritual resiliency. The Marine Corps lets me go speak on spiritual resiliency at boot camp every quarter and, and talk about, a you know, a life of faith and what it means to have a, that, you know, spiritual pillar. You know, the military talks about four pillars of resiliency, mind, body, spirit, social, but they don't ever really define the spiritual pillar. So I'm able to go and do that now based on off my experiences. And, uh, and so I never thought that, you know, the decision, to make that change in my own life would give me the opportunity to, to reach, you know, 250,000 other uh, troops in, in millions through the, you know, platforms like this and, and uh, the eight books that I've written and given away about 150,000 copies of my book and then uh, to the troops. And then we, uh, and then we have a legacy program at Mighty Oaks Foundation, which is a recovery program for those who are struggling with life's issues. Uh, we have it for active duty service members, which all four branches of the military sends people to. 
We do it for veterans uh, who had been in the military before, spouses, and uh, and the first responder community. And we pay for everything, by the way. It's free. We, we Man, even take that's travel. So awesome. I think we do about $5 million a year in programming. Uh, that's all for free, you know, through donations and people, just amazing people getting behind it. And over the last 11 years, we've had 40, almost 4,500 graduates. And but now we're doing about a thousand per year. Uh, so we've done that. And then the, I think one of the most uh, things that I'm most amazed by is that God has taken those successes that we've had in those programs and give me a platform in, in Washington, D.C. to affect policy. And President mm-hmm. Trump had appointed me to the chairman of the faith-based coalition uh, for veterans care. And, uh, and, and I was able to work with President Trump and the administration to uh, work on executive order, bring faith programs back into the VA and DOD to give veterans that choice of faith programs uh, and, and, and help with the prevents bill to put uh, faith care policy back in the prevents bill for, for veterans care. And so we've been do, able to do some amazing things in, in Washington, DC with that. And then, and then, you know, recently we started another organization based on out of mighty Oaks, uh, save our allies in response to, you know, Afghanistan and Ukraine. And so that's kind of where all those things that I went through, uh, have led me. And again, I look back at those things and the very things that almost destroyed me, uh, from my experiences in childhood and, and my experiences as a force recon Marine and working at JSOC and being in Afghanistan and the loss of friends and all the, and, and almost losing my marriage and almost taking my life and all those things that facing the depression and panic attacks, all those things that I've been through have really just equipped me to have a, a not only a platform, but a message, uh, that I can be vulnerable and transparent with to share the dark Valley that I was in. Uh, but, the redeeming power of Christ in my life and where he's mm-hmm. brought me and how he's been able to, to, to use this, you know, very broken person since to do, you know, to do the, the amazing work that I've been privileged by him to do. Wow, man. Well, <laughs> there's so much, so much to unpack there, dude. That is, that is such an amazing testimony. And and it's like you said, you know, like there, it's a cure for cancer. And, and this is, this is something I feel like every believer every true believer in Christ should feel it's like you have the answer. <laughs> you have the answer that no, that no one else uh, who's not a believer has. And um, man, how all I can think as you're sharing all this is how awesome is it to have a God who is so faithful to give us trials. Um, so faithful to, to put these stumbling blocks. So we, we look up and, and we actually reflect on, on not having it, together you know because i feel like the 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 devil or satan like wants us to be comfortable he wants us to you know acquire 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 and and get to the end of our life feeling like we've accomplished something and man it's just so cool to hear your story and and hear how god used so many things right like your wife um everything to to point you back to him man wow i I appreciate you sharing that and the vulnerability man because that's huge yeah, absolutely. Uh, and like I said, uh, you know, outside of Mighty Oaks, you know, we've done Save Our Allies now and, uh, you know, the work that we've done there, Mighty Oaks has launched that. And we have a, you know, international programs division there and, and to do work overseas and, and that's birthed the Save Our Allies efforts. And, you know, the work that we're getting to do now is just so, so amazing. And I'm so honored to be able to do it. And we've been able to help so many people. And uh, it's not an evangelical effort, like, uh, but man, it's just really showing the, the heart of God to, to help people. Yeah. Yeah, man, definitely. No, I, I definitely agree. It doesn't have to be pre- preaching from a Bible to to go yeah. love the world. So that's awesome. Um, so with like the Mighty Oaks Foundation and everything, 
I've kind of gone back and forth just as, as I've gone through my walk and, and God's grown me. And, and I think I would, I would have said years ago, like if, if someone was struggling with a mental con- condition or if they had anything going on in their life that made them depressed or you name it, you know, like I would have said, well, the answer is Jesus. And, and like, you need to get in the Bible and prayer and then you'll be better. And <laughs> thankfully God's put uh, trials in my own life and, and plenty of other things going on. Uh, to kind of grow me in that area. Uh, but I feel like there is just such a stigma against uh, that, just kind of what I was saying. And, you know, just trust God and, and read your Bible and uh, let him change it. And there's there's a lot of biblical counselors, I'd say, even who don't touch science, don't touch anything at all. Like, you know, it's just like you have an issue, they point you to a verse. And, and part of that, I think, can be super helpful. But uh, just through your experience, I think it's important for people to get the help they need. And if you can just kind of talk to that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I believe the word of God is, is sufficient to, for all things, but I also believe that God, God, God has created doctors and medicine and all these things are available for us. And, you know, I've heard an old joke before. I think everybody's probably, probably heard this joke in some form or another where, you know, someone's, someone's sitting on a roof and the house, there's a flood coming and there's, they're, they climb on the roof of their house and a boat comes and they're like, Oh, oh no, you know, you know, I, I'm not, I don't need a boat. God's <laughs> yeah. coming to, to rescue me. I trust God. God's rescue me. And they're on the, they're on the top of their chimney and a helicopter comes and, and they're like, Nope, Nope. You know, God's going to rescue me. I don't need, you know, I have faith. And then they drown and they're in heaven and they're like, Hey God, why didn't you save me? He's like, well, I sent a boat and a helicopter. Spot on, uh, man. You know, so, you know, I think, I think sometimes people that, you know, you know, Christians who, you know, maybe overlook, you know, how, how, you know, the things that God has available for us. Uh, there's great doctors outside of the, outside of the, you know, biblical world who maybe don't even share our faith, who have the ability to provide, you know, great medical care for us. And, and there's great clinical counselors who maybe don't have biblical counseling, who, uh, who have good advice and wisdom for us and, and, uh, and good direction for us to go. And, uh, and then there's amazing biblical counselors. I'm, I'm, I'm a board certified pastoral counselor with the American Association of Christian Counselors. I don't do it. I don't practice it. I went through the course. I, I'm not a practicing counselor, but I went sure, through the course because awesome. I wanted to yeah. learn more. And, 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 uh, and I want to understand biblical counseling because I have a staff of biblical counselors under me. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, I encourage the, the staff of biblical counselors under us that we, we never shut the door on medical care because, you know, it, I mean, we're talking about when we talk about PTSD and anxiety and depression and bipolarism and, and, uh, and people that have like, a you know, their serotonin levels are off because of a traumatic event. I mean, there are times when, you know, and I've had them where, you know, my blood pressure is 200 over 130. Uh, and yeah, you know, Psalm 23, reading it out loud and memorizing it calms me down. But if you're in the emergency room and your blood levels, but your blood pressure is 200 over 130, you probably should take some medicine to bring your blood pressure down. Uh, that's that's the boat at at the, at the edge of your house, and that's the the helicopter when you're sitting in your chimney and water's at your feet. You probably should take some medicine. Now, I, I teach. I was just teaching this this weekend when I was at the Air Force in a class called "The Truth About PTSD," and I've written a, a small book about 45 minutes called "The Truth About PTSD." Uh, myself and Jeremy Stolnecker wrote it, and uh, and it talks a lot about this. But I, I think that medication is an important part uh, of care. I don't think it's an either or. I don't think when you when I was, te- I was testifying before Congress one time, and I know I'm jumping all over the place, but I was testifying before Congress and about faith-based care. And the VA had put this 
psychologist there to argue with me. And uh, before her argument even, I even gave her a chance to start an argument. I looked at her and said, before you even begin, you have to understand my position. This isn't an either or. This is not either psychology or biblical counseling. Right. There can be an and. There can be both. You could do both. And both works. I mean, we have so many clinical counselors in the VA and DOD that send people to Mighty Oaks, and we're able to break those walls and, and, and open up their heart to get help. And the two work hand in hand so well. And I think the same thing comes with medicine. I will say, though, that if you're going to have one or the other, then the Bible, uh, in, the, in living the principles of the Bible, will land you in a better place as only taking medicine. And, uh, and, uh, right. But it doesn't have to be that way. You could do both. And, uh, and I always tell people, and again, this is back to what, what I was speaking about to the Air Force this weekend. If, part of your, if, if in your plan, medicine is part of your get well plan, that's okay. But if medicine is the only thing in your get well plan, then it's a bad plan. <laughs> yeah. Got to have a face right? plan. Yeah. yeah. You got to have, you got to have other things, right? Yeah. Face, primary, alternate contingency, yeah. emergency, and a combination of all those things, right? You can, I mean, you could take medicine and be getting biblical counseling. You could take medicine and have replacement conditioning in your life. You could take medicine and, 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 and do things and, and do things that have an active lifestyle and, and do uh, prolonged exposure therapy and right. all those things. I will, I will go a little bit further down the rabbit trail and talk about different types of counseling. Um, so, so biblical counseling, obviously, uh, what the, what biblical counseling does is it teaches you how to take the things that you're dealing with in your life and use the Bible to find biblical solutions right. to the choices that you're making. What the, what, the, what biblical counseling teaches you is is taking personal responsibility. That's very important. So if you can understand that at a very practical level, that biblical counseling takes you to make personal take personal responsibility. Uh, that that's very important because what clinical cognitive therapy counseling does is it looks for someone to blame. Right. Yeah, I've seen that. So if you're going to go get a, a, a cognitive, if you're going to go through a cognitive therapy of of clinical counseling, what they're going to do, and you've all heard this before, like tell us about your mother, tell us about your father, right? Tell me a little bit about your spouse. What they're looking for is to look back at your past and give you something to pin that on to say, well, the way you're, the reason you're behaving this way and the reason you're depressed is because your father didn't pay enough attention to you. Your mother had a standard for you that you can never meet, right? And so now you're, you're associating blame with something and you're able to take that burden off of you and put it somewhere else. And that's what cognitive therapy generally does in most clinical clinicians that use cognitive therapy will do that's harmful because you're never taking personal responsibility. What biblical counseling says is, yeah, your father didn't give you enough attention. Your mother may have done this to you because they're broken people and we're in a broken world. But guess what? You have a heavenly father and uh, who loves you and he's going to teach you how to make better decisions in response to whatever you're facing, regardless of what happened in your past, because your past is your past and your future is what you're going to make of it. And uh, that's the difference between, I'd be biblical counseling and cognitive counseling. When I send people to do uh, non-biblical clinical counseling, what I, re- what I refer them to do is a uh, prolonged exposure therapy. And uh, you typically have to ask for it. And the reason I like people to do prolonged exposure therapy is one, it worked really well for me and I went through it uh, personally. And, uh, and it aligns with biblical counseling. What prolonged exposure therapy does is it never puts the it never points to any any uh, 
person as fault or an incident at fault. It puts you in, it puts you back in control of taking personal responsibility and saying, hmm. let me relive that incident. Let's talk about that incident. Let's get into the incident and, uh, and, and see how I could, uh, endure it emotionally by being exposed to it and, and take back control of it and move forward uh, beyond it. It doesn't let you live in that past that and continue to about to blame, uh, blame. And so I think prolonged exposure of the two clinicals, much more aligns with biblical counseling. And it, again, it was, it was successful for me personally. I've recommended it for people. Uh, the VA, if veterans are listening, the VA offers it. Out of every 10 VA counselors, probably one of them is qualified for, for a prolonged exposure therapy. Uh, but if you ask for it, uh, you know, they'll, they'll accommodate. Oh, dude, I, I appreciate you laying those out. That's super helpful. And what a gospel centered <laughs> representation of therapy. You know, it's like, like you said, like we are all broken, like that it does take response, personal responsibility, uh, to, to look at yourself and, and admit, you know, I think that's just being a Christian in general. Step one is admitting like you have a sin problem yeah. and, and you need a savior. Um, and so just in life, when we're going through these trials, it's like, like we have to, we obviously we have to look up, but it, it, it is an inward to see the need uh, for the savior. Yeah. So yeah. No, I love that, man. That's awesome. Yeah. I'll definitely look into that and I'll definitely pass those things along as well just as, on an as needed basis, but no, super appreciate you going through that. Uh, just somewhat shift gears, barely, obviously not enough time this podcast to go into uh, a lot, but from what you can say, you know, like what, what do you have going on currently and how can maybe the listeners be in prayer for what you got going on right now? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, in July, um, my interpreter Aziz, who I did eight deployments with and, you know, Aziz saved my life on multiple occasions. Uh, he wasn't just my interpreter. He's my teammate, my friend. I lived in his home. I didn't, I didn't go on operation and come back on base. I went in his home and lived in his home and ate there with his family and played, played soccer with his kids. And, uh, you know, he was, he was him and others as a Taliban began to take over and know the withdrawal was coming. Uh, his life became in danger. He was became being hunted and his family and they went on the, on the run. I had for six years, I've been trying to get a special immigrant visa, but we have a very broken, uh, system in our, our immigration process. So uh, that nine month process is supposed to take had been six years and we were oh, no, no sign of it happening. And so I made a decision to go uh, back to Afghanistan and get my friend, his wife and six kids uh, started putting together a team of, of uh, other special operations guys from my community and uh, people I trusted. And uh, as we put together the team, uh, one of our team members identified about 3,500 orphans at a facility that, needed to be rescued. And we kind of paused for a second and said, Hey, instead of getting disease in his family, let's get, we have the skills, we have the ability, we have the passion, like let's get as many people as we can that are vulnerable, you know, Americans, yeah, uh, interpreters in their families, women and children that would be vulnerable, um, like orphans and, and Christians that would be persecuted. And so we, uh, we worked, we collaborated with several, several entities. One would be of course the DOD to have access to be able to go into, go into, the airport in Kabul, how many cars at airport, which is in Kabul, which is where the evacuations were happening from. And, uh, and then we went to the government of the UAE, uh, and asked for some help, uh, to be able to move people there. And so they opened up their humanitarian center to us. They gave us two C-17 planes with pilots and, and a place to set up our operations center. Uh, I'm friends with Glenn Beck. If you guys know who Glenn Beck is, yep. he's ladies and Glenn Beck had raised some money for, uh, for flights 
uh, and and he uh, ended up giving us like about twenty one million dollars worth of, of flights. And so the um, myself and 12, 12 friends went in there and we uh, we started operations. We uh, we would put like three man teams outside the wire to go outside of the wire of the airport and go actually get hands on and move people into safety, and evacuate people. The first day we got Aziz, his wife, and six kids, as well as about 183 people. The next day, I think we got about 800 people. And then uh, then it all became a blur. Uh, we didn't know how much time we'd had, but we just stayed awake 24 seven and just kept oh, pushing man. and pushing and pushing. And we ended up having 10 days. And at the end of that 12 days, we had got out 12,000 people. Um, the military left. We chose to stay because we had already knew too much and knew too many Americans were there that we couldn't just consciously leave. Uh, so we stayed and uh, ended up getting another 5,000 people out through remote airports. Um, uh, in addition to get that 17,000 people we got out, we went into the, uh, where the Pangier Valley is, went onto one of the neighboring countries on the border area. Uh, myself and one other uh, uh, guy from Special Operations Community, his name's Dennis Price, uh, the two of us went in and um, did about 90 miles of border reconnaissance and built about six routes out to give the, the people that were trapped in the Pangier Valley a pathway out of the country to be able to escape and, and get to safety. So we don't, we don't know how many people were able to get out with that, but a lot were. And so, uh, so that's, you know, we did that in Afghanistan and then Ukraine, uh, happened right after. And so right away we shifted to Ukraine and, and have, uh, done several, uh, pretty high profile rescues. Uh, one, we rescued about 47 disabled kids who were, uh, the survivor of a group of about 150 that was in a, in a bomb shelter that got bombed and many of them were killed. Uh, so we got those 47 disabled kids out. Uh, and then we, uh, it, it, some of your listeners may have, uh, been familiar with the Fox news reporter, Benjamin Hall, who was, who was, uh, catastrophically wounded in Kiev there in the, the day the Russians, uh, really made a push to go in and we were called to go in and, and rescue him, uh, and, and his crew ended up, they ended up getting two of them to safety and hiding, uh, two were killed, uh, plus two more. Their drivers, Ukrainian military drivers, uh, Sasha, one of their correspondents, was killed. And uh, Pierre, the camera, Benjamin Hall's cameraman, was killed. Benjamin Hall had very, very catastrophic wounds. He had about 48 yeah. hours to live, and uh, and so we were able to get to Benjamin Hall uh, and safely uh, get him across the border. He he lost limbs, and he was very, very uh, serious condition. We were able to get him back across the border, and once we got him across the border, we handed him off to the U.S. military because uh, they couldn't come into Ukraine. So we handed him off to the U.S. military, who got him to uh, launch to Air Force Base in, in Germany and then eventually to Texas to Brooklyn Medical Center where he was treated and survived. And then we went back in like two days later to get Pierre's body and recover Pierre's body. And I, I actually personally drove uh, Pierre's body uh, from Ukraine into Poland and delivered her, uh, delivered him kind of with, with dignity to his, to his wife, uh, Michelle. So that's just, you know, and we, I'll, I'll be leaving day after tomorrow to go back to Ukraine again. And so we're, you know, continuing to do that, that work. Well, man, I hear a lot of praise there, dude. I like yeah. that is, that is some awesome things that, <laughs> you know, I feel like takes one or two things to ruin all of that. And, and I just to have God's blessing on that and to have, the, the willing hearts of you and your team to be able to do that is that's, that's so, that's awesome, man. Um, we, we get to do it and we get to, you know, talk about it, but the truth is so many amazing people have been behind it. People praying for us, people donating financially, 
people empowering us to be able to do it. It's, you know, we, we get to represent so many, so many people that's made it possible. And that's, that's all under the umbrella of save our allies then. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Mighty Oaks foundation started in the independence and the independence fund started save our allies back in August. Uh, and then, um, and then Mighty Oaks foundation has what's called a uh, international division. And, uh, and so we work together with save our allies, the organization we started to, uh, to help fund some of those operations. Gotcha, man. Dude, that's awesome. We'll, we'll be in prayer for continual uh, blessing on, on just what you guys are doing through that. Also, just in prayer for some rest, man, some spiritual rest. Uh, uh, just hopefully that's been all right for you. I know just the ops tempo just sounds insane. Uh, and so you haven't maybe had the opportunity for a lot of physical rest, but hopefully spiritually you've been able to be filled and, and pour out, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate that. We we need the prayer. We need the support, <laughs> not just me, but our, our team. And then the, most importantly, right now, the Afghan and Ukraine people, you know, what they're going through. Just we, can, we can't forget them and praying for them. Definitely, man. Well, Chad, thanks for coming on, man. I, I won't take any more of your time. I know you got a lot to knock out. So, like I said, we'll be in prayer. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Uh, appreciate being on. Sorry it's taking so long to finally get on. But, uh, you know, God bless and let's, let's stay in touch. Oh, sounds good, man. I'll be praying. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye.